Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM. There you can browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and get started listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM to get started now. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Outfielder Podcast, episode 91, brought to you by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, a.k.a. Founder Numero Uno, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Popfly himself, Founder Numero Dos, Ben. Love me, love me some queen. Baseball. Ben, what's going on, man? I think that is a pretty good take. Not bad. I still haven't seen that movie. Hmm. You need to get to that. It's a good one. You know who I think loves that movie? Who? Let's see who does. Ladies and gentlemen, now batting cleanup for the Outfielder Podcast. Number three, the great Sam Bino. Good afternoon, Sam. Hello, gentlemen. How are we? Doing well, man. Welcome back. Thank you. Ben, uh, I do love that movie. It's really good. It's one of the few movies I paid full price for right out of the gate. I, it, wow. was, it was available. I bought it. I've watched it a lot. It's good. That's good. Excellent. You know whose take I would really love to hear, but I don't think we can get him in on the old gramophone? I would love to hear what Mr. Jimmy Midtown says about that. Wait a second. Who's that in the other corner of the screen? Midtown is in the house. What's up, buddy? Wow. You know, uh, just when I think that song is going to get old, I hear it again, and it totally does not. Blows my mind every single time, too. Every time. I had <laughs> never noticed how much of that lead guitar was going, like, oh, yeah. underneath the vocals, so that really stood out this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it gets the blood flowing, that's for sure. <laughs> Sure does. Well, uh, so we haven't talked since you were in Colorado with us. It's been a couple of months. Hell of a season overall. We're doing awards today and uh, kind of reviewing our predictions. What have you thought, or what do you think of the season overall, man? Oh, it was it was an emotional roller coaster to say the least. Mm. Um, I think when I when I was last with you guys in Colorado, um, I was like preparing myself for the Mets' inevitable uh, collapse, and you know they they battled hard, but. Uh, it turned out like we all expected it to. It's a shame. Really, yeah, it's a shame. We, I, I don't know though. I mean, I think like, I think there was some hope, and it went. I guess the the like resurgence of them being really decent went on for a while. It just kind of imploded all at the end. And I mean, the talent was there for sure. It's just yeah. leadership stuff once again. Yeah, and uh, you know, Mickey Calloway just being a bonehead of a manager really, I think, did us in in the end. But you know. We uh, we kicked him to the curb, and now uh, I'm putting all my eggs in the Carlos Beltran basket. So it's very exciting. I love that hire, man. I mean, if if you're gonna do it, you may. If you're not gonna get a Madden or Girardi or whatever, you may as well just 
go with the hometown guy that knows that understands what it's like to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally talking myself into the idea that like he's dealt with adversity in New York and like has come out the other side. And I'm just going to ignore, uh, you know, the uh, tensions that he had with management in his uh, his final days with the organization as a player. I would very much like for us to put that on a T-shirt. I'm putting all my eggs in the Carlos Beltran <laughs> basket. Like, just what a good expression. I love it. If you make it, I'll buy like five. Awesome. Wow, okay. Ben, uh, note that down on the idea board. Yeah, let me get my embroidery kit out. Is he going to be like the next Ozzie Guillen manager? Where, I mean, <sighs> I don't so think bad. Carlos Beltran will be quite as spicy, but like player <laughs> manager didn't really go very well. Not at all. It <laughs> didn't go well at all. Yeah, I mean, like he was he was a very mild mannered player, but he was always like one of the smartest players out there. And everybody always said, like, uh, you know, I think they were saying that in his last year in Houston, he was kind of like the de facto hitting coach for the team. And he's always been known as like a great base runner who could like pick up the other team's signs. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, he was liked by a very diverse set of people in the clubhouse. Uh, and so I don't know, we'll see. Um, I think it, it sounded at first like it was Girardi's job to lose and, you know, who it. knows what happened behind the scenes that led him to not getting it. It just seemed like as soon as, I don't know, it just it seems like as soon as a way more competitive job came available, he was there. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think talent-wise, I mean, you don't have like a Bryce Harper necessarily, but like talent-wise, they're not a bad team. So, it, Well, and as, as we learned, you don't need a Bryce Harper to win a World Series. Apparently, so, we'll get to that. <laughs> Outstanding take on that, Jimmy. Thanks. It's a very good um, point. I guess... Um, what we ended up doing is at the beginning of the season, the four of us on this um, on this podcast or video cast depends on how you're checking us out. We made our season predictions, and we thought, what better way to do our final big episode of the year to uh, really run down those predictions and see just how wrong we all were? So, how do we want to do this, gentlemen? I mean, I think we all pull up our predictions and we talk about divisions and where we thought some of the big things, just some of the big ones that stand out to us. All right. J-Mac, you want to take us uh, through your AL predictions? Do we have to do the obvious? We do, don't we? We do. I think the, this is this is the first bus stop uh, for someone to get rolled over under. Yeah, that's fine. I'll take the, take the hit. So I had the Yankees winning 98 games and winning the division. And I had the Red Sox winning 94 and the Rays winning 86. Uh, you can flip-flop the Rays and the Red Sox because the Rays were significantly better. And I think most teams were significantly better than the Red Sox. Um, I had them going all the way to win the World Series because they won 119 games the year before. And it just seemed like that was a a pretty good pick overall. I mean, it kind of felt like almost like how we, feel, we felt about the Astros from like July on where it was like there's no way... This team isn't winning the World Series or at least going to the World Series. It was kind of that same notion at the beginning of the year. And it really fell apart. We've talked at nauseum about that, like just how it all kind of like came together. But it was definitely disappointing as far as that goes. But the Rays, really impressed. How many uh, wins did the Rays come out with total? I forget what the end was. 96. 96. That's a hell of a year. And if I can take solace in anything after a wasted season... 
it's that at least the Red Sox, even though they fired Dave Dombrowski after 10 months after winning a World Series, which is a crazy notion in and of itself, at least they went up out and hired Bloom from, from Tampa Bay, who knows how to put teams together in a very dynamic way. I'm really excited about that. Uh, aside from the Red Sox, the Yankees, I think the Yankees were who we thought they were, and even more so a lot of times. I, I think that we kind of expected them to trip and fall throughout the year, and they never really did much. No, they were I, quite I, injured. They were, and they still maintained really well. Jimmy, where did you have them? I had the Yankees uh, in second. I had the Red Sox uh, winning that division, so I really screwed the pooch on that. Um, and I thought I thought the Rays were going to be competitive, but I didn't think they were going to win 96 games. I mean, that mm-hmm. is a crazy overperformance. Um, but I think to, to your point before, credit to their organization for really being able to find some diamonds in the rough. Absolutely. I had uh, the Yankees winning 102 games. They ended up winning 103 games. Uh, so that that's actually probably my best prediction of the entire year that they would take the division. I, I missed them by one. Um, but yeah, the Rays crushing it. Um, I don't know if anybody really saw that coming. Yeah, not not specifically. Ben, where were you at? So I had uh, Yank. Oh, so I'm looking at the wrong list. I had the Boston uh, at 99 wins and the Yankees at 98 wins, mm-hmm. uh, and then I had the Rays being just above 587 wins. Uh, you know, I predicted the Orioles to be trash and the Blue Jays to be mediocre, but um, yeah, I feel kind of bad that I picked Boston to be first because all year I thought the Yankees were a better team, and uh, yeah, that's a bad take. Again, I don't know, though, like we were talking about this before the show, like I don't know how you could have seen that coming, regardless of the team. Take the names off the team. I mean, based on their performance from the previous year, I don't know how you could have seen that. Okay. Yeah, no. So what about uh, speaking of performance from the previous year, let's migrate over to the AL Central. Justin, how'd you do? So I had the Indians winning 92 games, the Twins winning 86, the White Sox winning 75, the Royals and Tigers don't matter, really. Um, but I had them at 72 and 70 perspectively. <laughs> Whenever we look at how this season ended, I think we're going to come to a common theme when we start handing out the awards here in a little bit of most improved team and, and all that. I mean, Minnesota's blown everybody's expectations out of the water. I had them winning 86. They won 101 games. It's incredible. Cleveland, to me, never really got off to... Like, they got off to a, a kind of a slow start, and then it just felt like they they climbed out of the hole for sure. But just they were never really going to catch Minnesota. And then the wild card just got out of reach pretty quickly. It seemed like for Cleveland, they thought they could piddle around like they have in prior years and still be on top. And that clearly was not the case this year. I mean, they still won 93 games. So, I mean, it's not terrible either. It's in a shitty division, though. They're playing the Royals and the Tigers 19 times each. Uh, for what it's worth, I totally had Cleveland winning 93 games. So I called that. Mm. I just had the Twins below that mark. So every single one of us had the, the Indians winning with the Twins in second. Yep. Jimmy, where is and your then, rundown of this division? The rest didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I had the same, I had the same order. Um, and I think, Ben, to your point before, uh, the Indians definitely thought that they were going to, like, pull this one out in the end. They came... Uh, to New York late in the year and they got swept by the Mets and then they they tweeted out like everybody relax like we you know we lost to this fringe playoff team but everything's going to be okay and then they also were a fringe playoff team and uh 
you know, it, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. not a good look. Yeah. I love um, when social media fails like that. Just, just <laughs> don't say anything like that. Yeah. On, on mine, I didn't even have team three, four and five filled out. Like it just doesn't matter. <laughs> I had Indians at 93 wins and then I had, twins and then i had blanks i didn't even put a win total next to next to minnesota i mean we're sorry sam i was gonna say at least we're consistent in our treatment of the al central we we skipped over them frequently last year yes the royals and uh and tigers were like obviously like they were bad we knew they were gonna be bad they were like a lot worse than i think we even thought though like 47 wins that is brutal dude (laughs) That's, I mean, that, I mean, that's trying to lose games, though, right? Like yeah. that, you can't just like you can take a a leak in this league and actually win fifty games at least. Like the fact that they didn't even do that, that just seems like they were trying to lose games. We finished fifty three and a half games out of first. <laughs> God damn it! That's the they same were, as the Miami practically. Yeah, they were they were more wins out of first place than they had wins overall. Or games out of first place. So as we move to the AL West, uh, J Mac, before you do your predictions, can you run down how the division finished out? So Absolutely. we have the the standings. Out? Absolutely. So you had Houston with 107 wins. You had Oakland with 97 wins. You had Texas with 78. You had the Angels with 72, and Seattle with 68. Okay, cool. So J Mac, how'd you do? So I had the Astros winning 95. I had the A's winning 86. I had the Angels winning 80 games. I had the Mariners winning 78 and the Rangers winning 62. Uh, we were, Sam and I were looking at the spreadsheet earlier. I originally had the Rangers winning eight games. Uh, I think I was just fucking around is what it sounds like. So, eh, not. This was probably my strongest division I called recently, relatively the right way. Yeah, the only one that I got right was the Astros winning it. Every single other team I put in the wrong place. Oh, uh-huh. where'd you have the A's at? I had the A's uh, behind the Angels. Mm. Um, and the Angels just like were not good. No. They were they were way worse than I thought they were going to be. I did the exact same thing where I got the Astros right and then everything else just did not fall into place. I, I had the Astros at 101 wins in first, so I was pretty close there. And then I had Seattle in last at 72, so pretty close there. But everything in the middle was uh, totally on its head. It's a lot of hot garbage there for sure. All right, so let's move on to the NL East. And Jimmy, I'll let you, well, I'll run down the the actual standings, and then I'll let you lead us off. Um, so Atlanta won 97 games, the Nationals won 93. The Mets won 86, the Phillies won 81, and Miami won 57. God. Yeah. So I'll say this. My my like big thought going into the season was that every team in that division except for the Marlins would finish over 500, or at least five. Well, I, I thought over, but um, that basically happened. Uh, the Phillies finished at 81 and 81, and then, then everybody else aside from the Marlins finished over 500. So it was actually like – a pretty competitive division throughout the season. Um, but I, I, you know, the Homer and me had the Mets winning the division ever so slightly. Um, and that didn't pan out. Um, but the, but yeah, I mean, the Braves were obviously a very good team. Their, their young guys keep getting better. Um, and then, you know, we know what happened with the Nats. So, uh, overall, like a very competitive division. And I think it will be again, heading into 2020. For sure. All right, Sam. I put a lot of faith in the Phillies uh, this last year with the addition of Bryce Harper, which turned out to be like 
not even a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the Braves with 94 wins winning, winning the division. So that's pretty close to actual. And I actually, I guess I put too much stock in the Marlins. I gave them 67 wins. I gave them 65. So okay, that, that's not I had them at 59. Pretty close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, when the third of them love it. I, cause I'm looking at mine and like I had the Phillies with 88, the Braves with 84, the Nationals with 83 and the Mets with 80. So, I mean, the Mets in fourth place being like, you know, I mean, that that's not a huge spread between first and fourth place, really and truly, to your point, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. also had not a very large spread, where, but I totally miscalculated. I mean, I had the Phillies being a heck of a lot better. I had them winning at 92 games. The World Series Championship Washington Nationals, I had in fourth place with only 81 wins at a smooth 500, which is just another bad take. I mean, this is, this is the uh, division where I have earned a night in the doghouse with how poorly I called it. The only thing I got right was the Marlins, uh, but I had them at 62 wins. Mm. Side note thought, y'all think I could pull off a Mets cap if I started wearing one? Definitely. Sure. Yeah. Why do you want to wear one? We'll have Jimmy put one in the mail for you. (laughs) Perfect. It's got to come from New York, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Any other thoughts on the NL East? No? Okay. I don't think so. Yeah, the Marlins are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty I no, I think I think it's worth restating Jimmy's point about just how competitive the division was with mm-hmm. four teams finishing at five hundred or better. I mean, that's that's a good look for baseball. It is. I mean, especially a team that like the Nationals who lost one of their best players. I think that's we can get into the Ewing theory later on, but I think that's a really interesting thing where it, it does look like addition by subtraction a little bit there. Oh, and I totally think I know why Bryce Harper was this bad this year. Mm. Please, y'all share. remember when he shaved and everyone found out how weird his jaw looked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looked like a like a the dude from American Dad, the yeah. Seth MacFarlane <laughs> cartoon, just a chin above the rest. Yeah, he really did. A chin above the rest. <laughs> Mark that for later. All right, so let's go to the Central then. The NL Central, we had St. Louis winning 91 games, Milwaukee 89, Chicago 84. And we had Cincinnati winning 75 and Pittsburgh winning 69. So, I, I, Can I kick us off? Please. Is so that why is you actually, have your sunglasses on? So my sunglasses are on because the sun is directly in my face. <laughs> oh. It's shining off of the floor and right into my face. Like it's it's good. Like you see the shadow. It's pretty I bad. thought it was like, hey everyone, guess who got their eyes dilated for a podcast? What's that movie, they or them? And you got the who knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I have no idea what you're you talking about. Rowdy Ronnie Piper playing the main character, or they live is what it's called. And he Wait. puts on his puts on his sunglasses and all the advertisements say what they're meant to say. It just says like consume. <laughs> Why, why, why is Rowdy Roddy Piper in a movie? Yeah, uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask the casting manager or whatever. All right, but. this sounds like a weird one-off episode that we have to do this off-season, yeah. where we each pull a really obscure movie that we either like or are aware of. Anyway, oh sorry. Back to the NL Central. So yeah. the NL Central. This is actually uh, by the numbers. This is the closest division that I called. Across all five teams, I was only off by 21 games. Dang. Pretty good. But the order is way off. I had... (laughs) (laughs) That's less good. 
<laughs> I had Brewers in first, Cardinals, Cubs, Pirates, Reds. And that is not how it shaked out. But it was a very tight division. We're talking about, what is that, like 24 games from top to bottom? That's really, really tight. It is. That's not bad, Tight, man. tight, tight. <laughs> that again. <laughs> yeah, we can do that if you like. Um, okay, Ben, what do you have here? Uh, just another bad look. I got the Pirates being in last place right. Otherwise, I had Cubs in the top, then Cardinals, then Milwaukee, then Cincinnati. Okay. Jimmy, where were you at here? I mean, I got, so to be fair, I got four out of five wrong, but <laughs> um, it was like close. Like I had, I had the Brewers beating out the Cardinals and then I had the Cubs in third, which I got correct. I thought the Pirates were going to be better than they actually were. Mm. Uh, but uh, I guess like to Sam's point, I did have it like as a fairly tight division with like the winner. I thought the winner of the division was only going to win like 87 games. And so, you know, the Cardinals ended up with 91. But, uh, yeah, so I was, like, pretty wrong, but also, like, kind of close. Yeah. <laughs> so I, like Sam, had – this was probably – this might have been my it, – it's going to be really close as to whether I called this this division or the uh, the center, or the uh, AL West closer. But I had the Cardinals at 86 wins. They won 91 leading the division. I had the Brewers at 85. They won 89. I had the Cubs winning 84 games. They won 84 games. I yep. had Cincinnati or the Cincinnati won 75. I had them winning 73 and the Pirates I had it 78 and they won 69. So I mean I was off on the very last one, but I, I mean I don't I don't love the fact that I called St. Louis to come out of that division given that they really were not the better team at the end of the day and had Atlanta not just absolutely pooped themselves in a game five situation they probably wouldn't have moved on to the next round to get swept but I mean overall this was a pretty competitive division the Cubs were a lot worse than we thought they were going to be very well, sad actually they were exactly what I thought they were going to be but regardless I, I honestly thought they'd be better but it kind of felt like it was really going to go one way or the other with them well, speaking of crapping the bed, let's go to the NL West. Nice. That's good. That's what good. a bad division. All right. So we had the Dodgers win 106 games. Arizona, 85. What a drop-off. We had the Giants win 77. Colorado win 71. And the Padres win 70. Jimmy, kick us off. Yeah, I mean, like, so I got the Dodgers right. Uh, <laughs> I think got, we all did. Yeah, I got everything else wrong. Um, I thought, I guess I thought the Rockies were going to be a lot better than they were. We all did. Um, and then I like, that's why we went to Colorado. You know? Yeah. Is yeah. it partly? <laughs> um, and then I just like, I talked myself into the Padres being good and that just was totally wrong. Yeah. They weren't great. Ben, where were you at here? Um, once again, I, I really thought the Dodgers uh, were going to be good. They were. It was fantastic. I mixed up the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and the Padres and the Giants, but I picked that the last place team would have 70 wins. So I feel good about that. And that, you know, the Dodgers would outperform everyone and everyone else would be kind of bled a medium. And so I feel decent about that. But I'm super upset that the Dodgers, um, well, I'll save that for playoffs. So never mind. Sorry. Keep okay. going. Sam? We're fine. Yeah, everything was wrong except for the Dodgers. I had the Dodgers winning 96 games. I was 10 games off. 
Um, I then had Rockies, D-backs, Padres, and Giants. Um, really not too far apart from one another, aside from the Giants. I had the Giants winning 65 games, and they ended up with 77. So a real shit show in, in the NL West. I did a bad job of predicting that. Probably because those games are really hard to watch, and I mm. don't watch them. Agreed. 100% <laughs> with you, man. We This division's really interesting, and Sam and I talked a lot on the live stream during the World Series about how the Dodgers play in such a terrible division that they're just going and just beating up on these bad teams. And I think it really overinflated their record a lot. I don't think they were quite as good as... I mean, the Nationals really kind of made a joke out of them. I just don't think they were quite as good as maybe their record reflected. I had Arizona winning 85 games. I had San Francisco in third place winning 77. I had Colorado... I'm sorry. I was looking at the wrong one. One second. I did it, did the same thing that Ben did originally in the first one we did. Uh, sorry, I had the Rockies in second place winning 84, Diamondbacks winning 81, Giants winning 80, and Padres winning 76. So like, I wasn't too far off the wins and stuff like that, but it was really just the order of a few of those. The Rockies I only hear really a really bad take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that we had built out this to where it was smart enough to calculate total wins and wins left to assign. You're welcome, I didn't. Ben. I didn't assign... 294 wins in the American League because <laughs> I left so much of it blank. And I gave an extra 12 wins in the National League that I that I over 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 100 wins. I love that. No. Oh, no, hold on, but I left four teams blank. So like Yeah. But, but still. I think they made such little of an impact that you just assigned those extra wins to other good teams. I like the I like yeah. the, where your head's at. That's Maybe right. Some- were you predicting some sort of airstrike? <laughs> yes. These teams are canceled. <laughs> yes. Just get them out of there. And basically. Okay. All right. So let's go to the playoffs. Ben, won't you lead us through the playoffs? Yeah. So um, will you do the. So this is what I had for the playoffs. Okay. Because I'm an idiot. I had AL East Boston, AL Central Indians, AL West Astros. Got that one right. Wild card Yankees and wild card Rays. Uh, NL, I had the East Phillies, wrong. Central Cubs, wrong. Dodgers West, good. Uh, my wild card teams were the Braves and St. Louis, so they at least made made it in there. I had the Astros winning the American League and the Dodgers winning the National League, and I had the Houston Astros winning the World Series. Wow, I thought you had the Dodgers winning the World Series. No, wow. I I almost did, but okay. I had uh, I had Houston over them. All right, Jimmy, you're up next. I mean, what a joke mine was. Um, <laughs> I, I had, I mean, I, it's like not even worth saying it all out. And I'll just like leave you with I had the Indians beating the Dodgers in the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland didn't even make the playoffs, man. Yeah, I know. I just, I don't know. That alone gets applause on this show. That's for sure. I love that take. Sam? Uh, I'm still reeling from the Indians. <laughs> uh, I had Yankees, Indians, Astros as the um, division winners in uh, the AL. I had Boston and the Angels as the wild card team. So that's like way off. Uh, in the NL, I had Braves, Brewers, Dodgers as division winners. So not not too far off. And then Phillies and Cardinals making the wild card. Had the NL champs as the Phillies and the Astros winning the World Series. Mm. So again, I really put quite a bit of stock into the Phillies. 
Probably because there's a couple guys in the office and they don't shut up about them and then I look way too into the Phillies. Well, and they acquired Bryce Harper. Like, I mean, I think, you know, and I mean, they, they have young talent. They got a lot of young yeah. talent on that squad. I still think they're pretty good. Agreed. Barring injury, they would have been a lot better than a 500 baseball team. Yeah. So I had the Yankees, Indians, Astros coming out of the East, Central, and West. I had Boston as a wild card team and Oakland as a wild card team. So I got Boston wrong. And then in the. NL, I had the Phillies, Cardinals, Dodgers coming out in the East Central West. I had Atlanta and Colorado as a wild card team. Colorado might have been the the biggest disappointment for all of us this year. Like everybody thought they'd be a lot better than they were. I had the Dodgers coming out of the NL, Boston coming out of the AL, and Boston winning the World Series. So not great either. Yeah. So overall, Sam and I each picked the World Series loser to win. Mm Hmm. Jimmy Midtown and J-Mac both had teams who didn't even make the playoffs slotted to win the World Series. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we do baseball predictions here at the Outfielder Podcast. That's good. All right, Ben. Before we have uh, the awards, I think you have to to tell the uh, good people who's sponsoring the pod. Absolutely. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. They're a little company you may have heard of uh, for like the last 15 episodes of this amazing podcast because not only are there our sponsors, they're also giving out a pretty sweet deal where if you go to audibletrial.com slash SLM, like Sensibly Loud Media or Sierra Lima Margaret, if you go to audibletrial.com slash SLM, you can get a 30-day trial. So you need to do that, and you need to then download an audiobook and listen to it. It doesn't even have to be about baseball. If you want to check out some Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan, whatever, like, go for it. If you are super into the Ming Dynasty, I hear they have books on all of those dynasties, Ming or otherwise. So audibletrial.com slash SLM. Check them out and get your 30-day trial going on right now. Good stuff. Thanks, buddy. All right. So now on to the awards for the year. So this is our second season as a podcast. And we went through and actually assigned official awards this year. We have three categories. Well, we have more subcategories, but we have three main categories, individual awards, manager awards, and then outfielder staff awards. So we're going to go through those. Sam, do you want to kick us off with the player awards? Yeah, I'd first like to give a shout out to Ben for using the NATO phonetic alphabet. That's fantastic stuff right there. It's good. Thank you. It wasn't 100% correct, but I just confidently said it like a white dude, so people believed me. Good stuff. Yeah, so, all right, I'm going to kick off the individual awards. These are all player-based, and we'll do AL and NL for each of these. So, player of the year AL, unsurprisingly, Mike Trout. Hmm. Mike Trout ended the year with 8.3 war. That's just like a lot of wars. A lot. Uh, he, had, <laughs> he had 110 runs, 104 RBIs, 45 home runs, and an OPS of 1083. Um, there's no, no reason to speak about the Angels outside of Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So duh, Mike Trout's still the best. And I would like to add that he played in 134 games because he was out for the last like month of the year and still put up those kinds of numbers that were better than almost everybody else. 
And he's the only known major league player that has a water feature named after him at their stadium with the trout pond, which is always worth mentioning. I agree. Anytime you name a piece of like architecture after a man, it's worth noting. Well, he's still on the team. Like, it's not like he's (laughs) retired or dead. Like, no, he is an active player. Just signed like a 12 year extension or whatever. Like he's going to be there a while. Any uh, any other notables that stand out for you, Jimmy, or is that a pretty much a runaway? Yeah, I mean, Trout's like the best, yeah, and has a huge neck. Does have a big <laughs> neck, big neck. I, I don't. I would. I would like to know the neck measurements between him and Brett Gardner because Brett Gardner yeah. has a bigger neck. Uh, but we'll get into him later. I Maybe think proportionally. A, yeah, like a ratio. Brett Gardner's is wider based on his height, but mm-hmm. Mike Trout's is probably overall girthier. Yes. <laughs> Is there like a, a neck to forehead ratio that we could have a measurement that the guys sure at Baseball Reference could track for us? Sure there is. Take note of this and do some measurements. All right. Who's next? All right. Play, uh, AL player, or sorry, NL player of the year, Kristen Yelich. Uh, this should be no surprise. He had a 7.1 war. He had 100 runs scored, 97 RBIs, 44 home runs, an OPS of 1,100. Led all of baseball with an OPS of (laughs) 1.1. Unbelievable. He also sat for like the last uh, month and a half of the year. Well, that's the ridiculous part in his place is the proof in the pudding, as it were, is that without him, yes, the Brewers made the playoffs, but they laid a total egg in the first round of the playoffs. It was just so disappointing after what a good season the team had. But I personally feel it's in large part because Yelich wasn't there. I was looking through 2018 facts of like it was a list of most shocking things that happened in baseball. And I was hoping that there was a 2019 list. I'm sure that's not done quite yet. But like number 97 was uh, Christian Yelich being traded away by his his childhood hero, Derek Jeter of the of the Marlins. And it still feels like that should carry over onto his resume in some way, shape or form. Agreed. That's a tough, Derek tough Jeter. pill to swallow. What a terrible baseball executive. I know, right? It really is bad. Really ruining his legacy. <laughs> really fast, too. Yeah. Okay. Who's next? Sam? All right. Great. We have AL Pitcher of the Year. That goes to Justin Verlander. This one was Not close. On- Sorry. I said this one was close. Not only was Justin Verlander very old this year at 36, he also had a war of 7.80 and 21 wins, a 2.58 ERA. And uh, let's see, 300 strikeouts across 223 innings pitched. Um, he narrowly edged out Garrett Cole in this category. I think he's an honorable mention and speaks to like how crazy it is that the Astros didn't win the World Series with these two guys. But Justin Verlander's 30 fucking six years old. If I took me and added four years and then went and pitched at that level, I would just like turn into dust, right? Mm. This guy's a fucking machine. Um, I, I am pleased that he is in this category. So I was about to ask how old you were after how much you just underscored how old he was, but you told us there in that last thing, but that's, I will be 33 sometime next week. I don't know when (laughs) (laughs) a week from today, I'll be 33. He is 36 and 263 days. So nearly 37. So he's about four years older than me and still pitching the lights out like for a full season plus the postseason 
totally. That's incredible. Uh, anyone have any uh, difference of opinion as to why it went to old, old Justice Verlander? I will say that I was really close with Garrett Cole, though. I mean, a 250 ERA, he pitched 212 innings and struck out 326. He allowed uh, 66 runs on 142 hits, 59 of those earned. Pretty damn good year. Very good. All right. So next we have uh, Pitcher of the Year for the NL. We have Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom had a 7.9 war. He was 11-8 and eight with a 2-4-3 ERA. He pitched 204 innings and struck out 255 players, less than a hit per nine or per inning. Um, he this was this was a tough uh, conversation I think Justin and I had between Jacob Degrom and Ryu on the Dodgers. Ryu like stomped the entire field on ERA, but Degrom was second or third in literally every statistical category and. Just uh, like I think the year before, also kind of putting the team on his back and taking a lot of wins um, from some teams that just couldn't hit off of him. Yeah, I really like I feel almost guilty that he's on the Mets because (laughs) he's pitching so well and we have given him very little to show for it. Um, I mean, he's just been utterly dominant the last two years. And it's kind of crazy, you know, to compare his numbers from 2018 where you know, there was some crazy stat, like uh, if the Mets had scored three runs in each of his starts, he would have gone 30 and three uh, or 30 and oh. Um, and, you know, this year he was a little bit worse, but was still like utterly dominant front to, you know, from end to end the whole season. It looks like, I mean, based on the extension that he signed in the spring, he signed five years, 137 and a half million uh, and 52 and a half deferred into the 2030s, which I do love. That's a very Mets type of deal. Um, oh, yeah. Bonilla. You know, yep, exactly. But uh, I, I feel like he's kind of set up to be there always for the most part, right? I mean, that's pretty much what that looks like. Yeah, he's going to run out his career with the Mets, I think, or at least the good parts of his career. Yeah. Did he, he's did a little he bit start old. in New York or did he, did he get traded to him? Yeah, the Mets drafted him um, okay. and he was actually a shortstop and then converted to being a pitcher while he was Dang. in the Warriors. and uh, but he's he's a little older um he made his MLB debut at 26 so now he's 31 so he's you know he's not he's not a spring chicken but he's like right in the middle of his his prime his prime yeah. I think our new stats going to be are they older or younger than Sam mm, like, sure. and that's going to be our new barometer for success I thought Am you were going to go with chicken here uh yeah by a little bit ah shit I thought you were going to go with older than chickens Ben that's where I thought that was headed to be honest with you <laughs> Seemed like something. All right. Sam, what's next? Moving into not player of the year or pitcher of the year, but hitter of the year. Mm. Hitter of the year for the AL is Alex Bregman. We on the show hate Alex Bregman. (laughs) We hate him a lot. But he hits the shit out of the ball. Alex Bregman, 2019, 8.4 war. That's like almost Mike Trout numbers, right? Yeah. He had a 296 batting average. He had 122 runs, 112 RBIs, and 41 home runs, OPS of 1015. So those numbers are really, really good. They're, it's like just below Mike Trout thresholds. He was on base 292 times. Yikes. That's so That's crazy. That's a shitload. That's he a had lot. 150 runs created. 
That's like that's awesome. unbelievable. That's unbelievable. <laughs> but God, he's just such a piece of shit on social media. I can't stand this guy. Yeah, the so one. What is it that you hate about him? I'll let Justin take that yeah, one. Yeah, and then when I get hoarse, you can jump back in. Um, he just <laughs> he's just one of those people that he's kind of the villain, you know, and and he kind of embraces that, which I'm typically kind of fine with that. David Price is one of those guys. People love to paint David Price as an asshole, but like the team loves him and that's what matters. And that's kind of the same thing you've got going on with Alex Bregman here. But like he's just kind of a a braggy guy and like he's really like he's one of those athletes that'll go and fight with people on Twitter. And it's like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, look at the type of resume you have in this game. Like, why are you fighting with people that know nothing? And I think that's might be what drives me nuts about him the most. And he just sort of does things that don't always paint himself in the best light. And, and like, it just, it's one of those things. He has such an impressive resume. If he would just shut his fucking mouth and let him let that speak for himself, it would be, he'd be much better off. I think he would be on this show. I know that. He couldn't even hand the bat off to the first base coach when he hit that home run, and Juan Soto showed him up like something fierce. Which was great. I think for me, the main difference with Bregman, uh, especially when you're comparing him to Mike Trout, is that Bregman's just not as efficient as Trout. Mm. Oh, fucking Ben. That's the pun of the year. Yeah, it's good. It's up there. Missed you, Ben. What? (laughs) Missed you too, Jimmy. (laughs) One other notable category that he had was 119 walks. So he just figures out ways to get on base. Like he's an impressive baseball player. Yes. Just shut your mouth. All right, Sam, what's next? NL hitter of the year. Uh, probably many listeners might be saying why this person was an NL player of the year, but NL hitter of the year goes to Cody Bellinger. A 9.0 war, 305 batting average, 121 runs, 115 RBIs, 47 home runs, and an OPS of 1035. This guy just swings the swings the bat, but defensively, he's a real piece of shit. So that's why he's not player of the year. A hell of a year for sure. He, uh, I, every time I look at his Wikipedia, uh, his Wikipedia, his baseball reference page, it absolutely wigs me out when I see that he played all 162 games in 2018. He played 156 this year, though. That's impressive. Young guy. That's yeah. good. Really impressive. A lot of HGH going on there? Probably so. Allegedly? Of, no, I'm kidding. I don't actually know anything. I'm just making a joke. A lot of Mardi Gras head things going on there, for sure. But 115 RBIs is a hell of a hell of a year. I mean, a 406 on base. You read off these numbers, but 1035 OPS is just impressive. Anything else that jumps out at you, Jimmy? He Wait, so he ended up winning a gold glove this year? Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't know how. But he, I mean, Silver Slugger makes sense, but a gold glove really shocked me. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts there, guys? I think that uh, that about rounds it out. All right, let's give a round of applause for individual player awards. We are in the process of sending all of them their certificates. Uh, If they'll just answer our direct messages on Twitter, then we can get their addresses of them. Yeah, they're hesitant to give the addresses out. It's really strange. I don't know. I know. I just want to give them a nice certificate. Yeah, they're worried we'd show up. I think that's the problem. All right, so we're moving into management awards. So this includes a lot of different things. I'm going to go through these, and we'll kind of talk about them as a collective group. So the very first award is Most Improved Team, 
which goes to the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins won 101 games last year, or th- this year, excuse me. And how many did we say they won last year? We had it. 78? 78. Something like that. An enormous jump. They signed a lot of people in free agency, but those were all pieces that they really needed that added a spark. They have a young lineup. They've been bad for a long time. And, I mean, they hired the right manager, which we'll get into here in a little bit. They did a lot of things right. It sucks that they got into the playoffs and got swept almost immediately by the oh, immediately by the Yankees. But, I mean, that was a buzzsaw that they couldn't avoid necessarily. And I don't know that that was as much of an indictment on on them as much as it is just the fact that the Yankees were really good. And I would say my other thought about the Twins is we wondered a lot of times this year whether this Twins team was for real. Winning 101 games is no, you know, is nothing to sneeze at by any means. And it's crazy that they got to that number with, they still, they're still a little bit away. They're probably a piece or two this offseason away and experience and everything leads to all that too. But they, they had a hell of a season. And I mean, I, I, it's a pretty much a runaway when it came to teams, how well they did from the year before to this year. Any other thoughts? I love, there, guys? I love this take. I guess maybe we don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but how big is their, how large is their envelope for success? I mean, this doesn't feel like a, you know, 2015 Astros where you're like, we got a dynasty coming up. No, probably not. Not with like Nelson Cruz and whatnot being in the mix. No, they, well, but they're oh, definitely most improved. Where, a lot of it are, on, go ahead. Where is it on the spectrum from, 2015 Astros to 2015 Royals. <laughs> uh, Sam, do you want to take that one? <laughs> the Royals were like a mirage and they just happened to do like really good things. Mm-hmm. And we were not really sure. They just kept touting their defense. Like, I don't think that's a real long-term success plan is just like having really good defense and okay pitching. Yeah. Um, 2015 Astros, you could see that coming from a mile away. It's like, oh man, they just called up this guy Correa. He's really good. And they just acquired Bregman. It's like, these guys are going to be fucking smashing the ball for a long time. You pick up, then Astros are willing to like make long term investments. So I put them like at the A plus ter- uh, like end of the spectrum for envelopes for success. And then the Royals are like fluke, fluky. Um, and- the Twins are like, uh, I want to say like four, like four out of ten on that spectrum. I think the other thing, whatever the Twins, they were the most active team this past off season, and like that ink would never dry on that checkbook. Like they were just going through it, and to me, that's one of the key differences. Is they're just trying to buy success today, and I don't know that uh, it's going to have the staying power. I like it. Okay. So next we go to least improved team of the year. This one was fun to figure out. In 2018, this team won 80 games. In 2019, this game or this team added the best player in baseball and won 81 games. Second best player in baseball. Fair. You know what I'm saying. They added one of the top three players in baseball and still managed to win one more game than the previous year. And that, of course, is the Philadelphia Phillies. This was such an indictment on having the wrong manager and injuries galore. Gabe Gabe Kapler, who was ultimately fired and replaced with Joe Girardi, which is a much better fit, uh, was way in over his head pretty much from the day he got there. I've been, you know, beating that drum since pretty much we started this podcast. 
but he just was way... I think he did well with the players. I really do. I don't think he would have gotten a second year if he didn't. I just don't think ultimately it was the right voice to lead them in the right direction, and the results showed that. And again, a lot of injuries. Not a lot was necessarily all in his hands when it comes to that, but it didn't help the situation. And good managers know how to take a team that has pieces like that and put those pieces together. Is that fair? Yes. I'd just like to note that the development of this category was actually a little bit tough for Justin and I. This is not the team that was good and got the worst. This is the team that like did a lot and stayed the samest. Literally the exact same, really. Right. And and that's the thing, too, because otherwise we'd be looking at like and not to crap on the Red Sox, but like they won the World Series and then they missed the playoffs. That's a drop off. But they didn't go out and sign one of the best players in baseball. And the Phillies did and got almost nothing to show for it. The one thing that gives me pause in the future is how well the Phillies are going to do under Girardi. Like to me. I'm sitting up a lot straighter and paying a lot more attention if I'm in the um, if I'm in the East at this point. Jimmy, did this shock you as someone who watches the NL East pretty closely? I mean, I thought they were going to be a good team, but I was skeptical that they were going to like take that big next step. But I I like Sam's uh, like definition. <laughs> Basically, like it was. It, it sounds to me like this this award goes to the team who. Uh, expected their efforts to do a lot more than they did. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's like a, they predicted for themselves that they were going to get X better. And then it turned out that they got, the, they got almost nothing out of that. So right. That, I get that. I like that as, as a category. <laughs> but I will say too, though, like it's not like Bryce Harper had a bad year. He had a, a war this year of 4.2. He had 573 at bats, 149 hits, 35 home runs. He batted 260. He had 114 RBIs. He swiped 15 bags on base 372, slug 510, OPS of 882. That's not a terrible year. What, what that leads me to believe is their injuries and everything were so bad that they would have been far worse than this without having added him. Yes. And I think that's probably the biggest differentiator there. Those stats make literally every team in baseball better. Exactly. So that means it's, that you were in trouble otherwise. He was able to bring them back to parity. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Just what they were looking for when they signed a $350 million contract. I mean, I guess, like, for context, though, like, those stats are pretty close to, like, a Michael Conforto season. And you're not paying Michael Conforto $30 million. Oh, you're going to love some of our later categories. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So next, we have the manager of the year in the AL I think this one was pretty clear cut whenever we looked at it, and it wasn't even really close. It's Rocco Baldelli, manager of the Twins. I mean, we talked about reasons already. He took them from, I mean, obviously, when you're writing checks like that, that's helpful, but he also knew what to do with those pieces, and that was a big change from what they've had in the past, and it's going to be interesting to see if he has somewhat of a slump next year, just kind of the sophomore slump kind of thing, but to win 101 games in your first season is a pretty damn good good start and there was no one else that was even really close to be honest what thoughts do you guys have didn't even know who he was when they hired him um great out great outcome for the team he is always welcome on this podcast indeed he was like 
best known as someone that like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays picked up, I think, and like showed up and hit like nine home runs really fast and then became bad. I do miss the days whenever you'd look at the stat sheet and you'd see TBD for Tampa Bay Devil Rays. That's such a shame. It's not the, that way anymore. But yeah, he played a year in Boston. He played for the Rays otherwise. And yeah, I mean, he was overall like a pretty, like, he was very similar to Alex Cora, where he was a guy that came, like, kind of a platoon guy that seemed to come in and be able to, to light the world up from time to time. But great as, you know, pretty good as a player, great as a manager so far. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like going forward, though. Do you think uh, a former player turned manager is better equipped to be a manager if he wasn't that good of a player? It almost yeah. feels like it, right? Look at David Ross. Yeah. Ron Washington. <laughs> yep. A lot of a lot of those guys out there right now. M- Mickey Callaway, however you wanna however you wanna look at that. I mean, I think he's a fine pitching coach, but I just don't think he was manager material. What does that say for Carlos Beltran? That I know it worries me. Terrifying. I was about to say the yeah. exact same thing. It's like terrifying. It's like we should have gone with Joe McEwing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get Keith Hernandez in there. All right, let's move on to NL Manager of the Year. This one was a little bit closer. I think there were some some names into consideration, but the manager of the Braves, Brian Snicker, Manager of the Year in the NL. Had a great year with the Braves. Really continued. I think whenever we were looking at predictions, I think the biggest thing that we worried for for the Braves was just that little bit of a slump with some of that talent. I mean, you know, you've got just so much in Acuna and Ozzy Albies. And, you know, I think we really worried about the pitching. They went out at the deadline, did what they needed to do to be able to make a push. Unfortunately, like, it didn't really matter. Again, it was kind of a fluke game in a weird spot that kind of, derailed that whole season for him but to win 97 games when the expectation definitely probably wasn't that and I mean they really ran away from that with that division in about August and it wasn't I mean it got a little bit competitive there for a little bit but I mean it I don't think there was ever a doubt as to whether they were going to win this division for the most part yeah I I would just like to say that this is probably the only award that any sports team in Atlanta is going to get this year (laughs) it's been kind of a rough four months I mean the the Braves totally shit the bed in the DS, the MLS team, the Atlanta United, they won the cup last year and they lost to Toronto this year. It's a, it's a terrible team. They definitely should have won that game. And the Falcons are terrible. Everyone around here is just sobbing into their cock shaped pillows. Every and, night. and the Hawks are a team. They are. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> if there was relegation, they'd be playing Duke right now. Awesome. Hawks are a bird, Jimmy. bird. <laughs> All right, so the next award is Best Hire of the Year. So this was after last year going into the season, what was the best hire? And we're handing this one to Rocco Baldali as well. I mean, I don't think there was a better hire. If the day. There was actually not as much manager movement this past year as, as it kind of felt like, but Rocco had a great year. I, I mean, we've already talked about him. I think that was, that was pretty obvious. Um, any thoughts there, guys? Just that it seems that there's been more manager movement in the last month than there was all of last offseason. Definitely. All right. Best firing of last year. So that would imply that a a step was taken forward going into this year. So the best firing going into the 2018 season from the previous season goes to the Angels. 
And we actually kind of went back a little bit because the hindsight is by firing Mike Sosha and hiring Brad Osmus, that was a bridge gap year into getting Joe Madden. And ultimately, <laughs> uh, we've talked about this already on the show a little bit, I think. It, it was a really good hire for the Angels. I don't know how good of a hire or a job this is going to be for Joe Madden at the end of the day. But regardless, by firing Mike Sosha, you get Brad Osmus. That's just a bridge year. They weren't very good this year. You got your guy next. I think that's a, a pretty good good firing. I love this butterfly effect of like something happens in Lithuania and then all of a sudden we have <laughs> Joe Madden managing the Angels. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have the situation where Brad Osmus is used as some sort of pawn in a weird chess game. Like <laughs> that yeah. makes me laugh like too. Some cards. <laughs> exactly. I think for me it just it makes me wonder about the Angels' runway under Madden because I think that it, you know, not to say again a second time I've said this, but it makes you pay a little bit more attention. That's definitely the case. All right. Next is going to be General Manager of the Year. And I am very proud of this one considering he is now my General Manager. I am talking about Heim Bloom. He was the GM, or he was the assistant GM, excuse me, of the Rays this past year. Pepper joins us live on the show. What's going on, Pepper? Pepper says hello. Pepper does say hello. This is the outfielder's favorite doodle mix currently. Indeed. Um, Heimblum, really, really good GM. I think I'm really excited to have him in Boston. He is. He's done a lot with a little for a long time with the Rays. He's under that uh, that tree of, I guess, coaching or general managers. Of Andrew Friedman, who is the general manager of the Dodgers, who knows how to assemble teams in a very effective way. And he's done great things for Tampa Bay. They're going to miss him a lot, I think. Yeah, he actually interviewed last year for the Mets Open position, and he was a finalist. Uh, very qualified guy, really knows baseball. Part of that kind of like newer age, more analytical mindset uh, crop of guys. And then the Mets hired an agent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they got Brody. Yeah, great. Could have been worse. All right, let's move on. This is one of my favorite ones. We're going to close out the management awards with manager blunder of the year. Now, this one was fun to find out, but it was. It also wasn't even really a question whenever we started to think about it. And this award of manager blunder of the year goes to A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch manager of the Astros, took the team to Game 7 of the World Series, had Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in baseball, most likely a Cy Young winner this year, warming in the pen and decided to bring in Will Harris to promptly give up a couple of runs and promptly lose this team the World Series. Now, some things led up to that, and there was, it, there was some, definitely some strange things going on there, but that move... Might have been one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I'll tell you how bad it was. Whenever Garrett Cole got done with the World Series, whenever it was over, they were doing the interviews, everybody was asking him what happened. He wasn't wearing an Astros hat. He was wearing a Scott Boris agency hat. And he promptly said, I'm not going to answer questions because I'm not employed by this team. <laughs> the World Series had ended 20 minutes before that. That's how bad this blunder was. Sam, go for it, because I know this pissed yeah. you off just as much. No, I, I totally agree. It's a huge management blunder at face value. And again, I don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole here, but I just had a little bit of like a, a thought in the opposite direction. What if 
Garrett Cole said, don't call on me to pitch. Hmm. But he was warming in the point in the pen, though. Well, maybe he's not feeling well. Maybe. I don't know. I'm blaming AJ Hinch. Yeah. Period. It's a blunder. That makes the most sense. The alternative conspiracy theory is that Garrett Cole asked him to say, I, you know, we're not calling on Cole in this Mm. situation. True. Do you think that um, Garrett Cole may have really then known that he was going to land AJ Hinch on our hit list? Definitely. Oh, for sure. I know Cole thinks about us. Definitely. Jimmy, are there any other blunders that come to mind for you this year? Just in general? I mean, I guess like, I hate to say it, but like Dave Roberts, uh, just with the way he used Kershaw. I mean, it's tough. It's like Kershaw has this, uh, he's, he's been the best pitcher in baseball for so long, but he just is never like that in the playoffs. And I don't know, like you're in an impossible situation on how you utilize him on, on the biggest stage. And obviously it didn't work out this time around. It's true. It never does, though. He he gets yeah. shelled every time they bring him out in the postseason. Like what are you supposed to do? Right. Very true. I like that. All right. So let's give a round of applause, everyone, to the Management Awards for the Outfielder Podcast. All right, Ben. It's time. So next up, our favorite category. This is the Outfielder Staff Award. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to name some more baseball stuff, baseball tangential stuff. Um, but this is more of the types of awards that we like to give out. So, J-Mac, will you underscore for the fine folks at home what exactly the Pete Alonzo Award is? Actually, I'm going to hand that off to Sam, if if you will. because Yeah, that, that would be fine. Pete Alonzo, I think nobody saw his value outside of the Mets and perhaps... Jimmy, Jimmy Midtown saw how good he was. This was his first season in the MLB. I think he hit 53 home runs. This man is being paid league minimum at $555,000 per year. So this award inaugurally goes to Pete Alonso because we're naming it after him. But this is the greatest value per dollar uh, in a player. So Pete Alonso, an amazing value. He just crushed it. And we're actually using him that we're using Pete Alonzo, the word, as a metric. Like, yes. a, as an example, Robinson Cano is worth like 49 and a quarter Pete Alonzo's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, as the first annual Pete Alonzo Award goes, Ben, go for it. The 2019 Pete Alonzo Award is being awarded to Pete Alonzo. This Pretty is good. his first year winning and his first year being nominated. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So next up, uh, I don't know if y'all noticed, but anyone who's listening to this pod knows that uh, one of Justin's favorite things to do is to record the dumb wheels off stuff that comes out of my mouth and play it at inopportune times. So the next award is going to be the Ben Baseball Drop of the Year. Justin, why don't you take this one? So... I'll, I'll provide a little bit of context. We were in Colorado, and when I, going through the content from Colorado was a, a wild scene because there's just there's stuff that's all over the place. We did so many different things. Jimmy, you were there. It was you know we talked about the Simpsons, we talked about baseball, we talked about you know we did an episode of radio, we did all kinds of stuff. And one of the drops that came out of this, 
made me laugh so hard, and I really don't even know specifically what you were talking about, where it came from, anything like that. But it just made me laugh, and every single time I hear it, it makes me laugh. So this is the Ben Baseball Drop of the Year. We're going to play it here on the show. Here we go. If you're going to dab, dab hard. <laughs> and we'll give that a bell as well. Um, I, again, I don't know what even what you were talking about. Do you have any clue? I don't. I don't know if that's like whenever people do their their arms up in the air, like the thing that that the youths are doing, mm-hmm. or if that's some term related to like people vaping or dabbing on stuff. I have no idea. I don't if, either. If maybe you were trying to get a stain out of a carpet, and so you're dabbing it with a paper towel, like I don't know. Could be all of those things. It's good. So that's the Ben Baseball Drop of the Year. Outstanding. All right. So next up is going to be our worst take of the year. So this is going to be, as we're looking back on the year, what did we do or say or think that was just a terrible, terrible take that did not pan out? And overall, our 2019 worst take of the year was that the Nationals were bad. To be fair, they started out 19 and 31. So, in our defense, that wasn't a terrible take, but it became a worse and worse take as time kept going. I think that every chance Joe Buck had to say during the World Series broadcast how since May whatever, the Astros and Nationals have had the same record, like that stat line was repeated so much because of how much better they got. Can I just briefly say that I I love any sport where a bad start consists of 50 games. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when you play 162. Right. Just a good good sample. It, like, makes these statistics make sense when you have that much going on. Absolutely. And that's that's, where it's, like, two games. Right. Yeah, 50 games is three seasons. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the next one, we're actually going to call on Jimmy and uh, we're going to put you on the spot because I know that you're a P1 for this show. You listen to every episode minute by minute as soon as it comes out on your way to and from work uh, on the New York subway. I'm assuming I don't know shit about mass transportation because I live in Texas, but I do know what a fan of this show you are. And so I want you to regale to us what you thought our worst idea of the year was. I'm just kidding. That's not what we're doing. We're actually going to give you uh, three different ideas that we pitched this year for you to choose from as what you think is the worst idea. So the first idea comes from, I think this is a Sam idea. This is a Sam and Justin idea. We were talking about how we make the leagues the same because there's talk of adding the DH to the NL and we're like, well, that's kind of boring. We thought we were just trying to think outside the box on this, right? How do so, we assimilate? So the way to, to really trick it up is they said, not only do we remove the pitcher batting from the NL, we remove the ninth batter spot in both leagues altogether. <laughs> so that's idea number one. Okay. The second it's idea comes from Ben Baseball himself, and that's to give the general manager a tranquilizer dart to use during the game from the press box, you get one shot to potentially take out a player on the field. 
if you miss, you miss. That's the second idea. And then the third idea is this is a, a real J Mac. He's still telling us it's a good idea, but Sam and I have labeled it a bad idea. And that's where instead of peeping people being able to um, like challenge calls, if the umpire is challenged on something, they have to go reenact what their call was and why they called it. The more theatrical and the more dance oriented, the better. So those are your three ideas to choose from for the worst, the outfielder idea of the year. So this is pretty tough, partly because I actually really like the eight batters. (laughs) (laughs) We should just like do that. Because that's less Uh, of a chance for the Mets uh, to whiff. Yeah. I mean, anything that like, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, So I actually, that one, that one can't win this award because I think it's actually a good idea. (laughs) Okay. Uh, but it's a tough one between tranquilizer dart and umpire having to reenact his call. And I think, I think I'm going to go with tranquilizer dart. I, can't, oh. like, I mean, that is, that is like, honestly, one of the stupidest things. In the <laughs> well, Hey, you want a stupid idea. You come to this podcast. So <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, we have two more awards to, um, to give out uh, first off. So in major league baseball, they talk about there's have the Roberto Clemente award. And uh, that's the player who best exemplifies the game of baseball. We're talking sportsmanship, community involvement, and the individual's contribution to the team. Well, here at the outfielder, we decided we want to make the inverse Roberto Clemente award. So this is the player who worst exemplifies the game of baseball sportsmanship, community involvement, and the individual contribution to his team. So the 2019 Inverse Roberto Clemente Award goes to Roberto Osuna. Bonus points because they're both named Roberto. (laughs) This from here on out will be called the Roberto Osuna Award. He had a war of 2.0, 4-3 record, 2.63 ERA. Uh, he pitched 65 innings with 73 strikeouts. He actually did okay. He had 38 saves, but a real piece of shit everywhere else. A so, real, oh, and also, I, I would like to add to that that he really shit the bed when it mattered most. And that that's kind of where I have an issue with him. I have an issue with the fact that he was arrested for beating up the mother of his kid. And uh, yeah, real sack of shit. Fuck that guy. Nailed it. Love it. Okay. Which brings us to everyone's favorite part of the outfielder. So one of our most popular segments was invented by the great Sambino himself, and that's our POS of the year. Excuse me, our POS, where every week we talk about who's just not a good individual overall. And uh, we decided to chronicle those and to go and look back and come up with who our biggest POS of the year was. You'd think that it's Roberto Osuna, given that he just had an award named after her. But no, in this case, I'm going to do the honorable mention, and then I'm going to let Sam take it on home uh, with J-Mac's help. So for me, my honorable mention for the POS of the year is one of my very favorite baseball stories. Jimmy, are you familiar with a cup snake? Yeah. I beg your pardon? Absolutely, I am. Yes. So Great answer. for those at home, Wrigley Field... In the bleachers, you get a lot of cheap beer in these plastic cups. And this year, 
Well, for years, they've been stacking as many cups as they can together. We're talking dozens upon dozens of cups. This year, Wrigley Field decided to kibosh that and really, really stop that and start banning cup snakes. So for me, the POS are the people at Wrigley Field who have been banning cup snakes. And one of my favorite things this year that came out of that is... I don't know about you that live in not Texas, but it's not uncommon for me to drive on the roads and to see someone with a come and take it flag with a cannon and, uh, you know, it's Texas history and all that. And it's now symbolizing gun, whatever. In fact, I believe one of my in-laws has a come and take it flag outside their house right now. Like it's a real thing. It's pretty prevalent. But at Wrigley Field, you can now buy shirts with the cup snake on it, and it says come and take it, and oh, yeah. I love it, and I wish I had one today to be wearing. I think we got to get you one in the offseason. Can I just say that they're mixing up their flags? If it was a snake, it would be the don't tread on me flag. Thank you. Right. That was where my head went to. There's like a huge disconnect between our flags. I think we need to have a flag show now. Mm. We'll send it to the Absolutely. creative. Absolutely. Yes, we'll get the interns on it. Yes. Uh, Sam or Justin, do y'all want to say who the POS of the year is? I'm going to give that one to Justin. He needs to take it away. All right, so this POS of the year showed up at least three or four times. for Actually, several times for the same reason, which is absolutely absurd. The POS of the year goes to... Brett Gardner of the New York Yankees. Now, first of all, Brett Gardner has played for the New York Yankees for 75 years. I swear to God. That guy, we were, during the during the live broadcast during the World Series, we were talking about the 2009 team that won the World Series with, like, Jeter and A-Rod and all that. And he was still on that team. And this dude, he is the epitome of just a complete and utter asshole he looks like a penis which pisses me off and the one thing that he got put in the pos corner for several times one of which was a time when he injured himself doing this he would take regularly he would take a bat and smash the top of the dugout with it whenever he was pissed off about a bad call and ultimately it landed him there twice at least twice maybe even three times on that specific thing alone and whenever they were playing the london series the bat came back and hit him in the lip and busted his lip open that was the, I will caveat that, he threw the helmet oh, that's the week right. okay. before in Cleveland. They showed the clip in the, while they that's were right. in London. Yep. He, he has like an anger issue, clearly. Yeah, it's a steroid issue is what it seems like. I'm just going to be a pedant with that one. I'm no, I'm, I'm glad you did because actually now that you say that, you corrected me about that when we did that episode a long time ago, and I'm still glad that you're on top of it for me. Meta correction. Yes. Jimmy, yeah. did you see much of this? Um, I actually have been spending the last 30 seconds uh, searching Brett Gardner <laughs> fingerling potato. It doesn't matter what you say. That's a good response. I just think that he, he looks a lot more like a fingerling potato than I really ever expected anyone to. What is a fingerling potato? Well, if you do a oh, search, you'll see. It looks kind of like Brett Gardner. Okay, hang on. Yeah, I think that's the... Google. Ben, they're like little short, long potatoes. They're like... About the width of a carrot, probably twice as long. But sort of lumpy. Maybe carrot. Yeah. yeah. Very lumpy. But just I mean, over... Where, like one part stops and ends, which is kind of like with his neck and head. Mm-hmm. Hey, give me 90 seconds. So <laughs> the, the other thing about this, too, is like... I think what pisses me off the most about Brett Gardner is that he is obviously a veteran on this team. Like I said, played for 75 years. <laughs> and he is someone that could really... 
I understand that he's trying to fire up the youngins and, and really, you know, help things move forward and quote unquote be a savage, if you will. But like it really feels like it takes it in a negative direction when destruction of your own dugout is a thing. And I Ladies think and- do what? Ladies and gentlemen, now joining us on this podcast to accept his award, Brett Gardner. Oh, <laughs> is this a fingerling potato? What a piece of shit. Very similar. He does look like a piece of shit. That's true. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, he doesn't use that for good. He seems to just care about himself a whole lot and like getting bad calls and stuff like that. It's like, dude, you've played in this league for long enough. You know how this goes. Sometimes calls go against you. Sometimes they go for you. At the end of the day, sure, we have bad calls all the time. And sometimes those bad calls happen when they do matter most. I I give you that. But at the end of the day, it's all about how you act and what you, you know, what you kind of leave as a legacy. He has the opportunity to leave a really good legacy and he chooses not to. That's why he's the piece of shit of the year for us. Love it. He does it to his own dugout. Yeah, that's the strangest part of the whole thing. All right, that wraps up the Outfielder Staff Awards. Well done, everyone. So it's been a wonderful season. And even though baseball is over, we're not going away. We got plenty of good off-season content. Guess what? We're probably going to review the Ken Burns documentary, Baseball. And we're going to be talking about it week after week. It's going to be amazing. Definitely huge props to James Middleton of Hell's Kitchen, New York, for coming in and joining us on this pod and always being a good friend of the pod. Thanks to Sam for joining us from Hotlanta. And always huge props to JMAC for producing and putting all of this together. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to check us out. We are at sensiblyloud.com and we are all over your social media feeds. You can check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, and on the good old Twitter. Y'all have a great week. We want to thank everyone for tuning in for episode 91 of the Outfielder Podcast. We would like to thank all of our fans, Sensibly Loud Media, our sponsors, and those with a sharp eye to keep the runners close. Grounds crew, please keep patrolling that outfield. Big ups to Kevin Towers. Don't text and drive, and we'll see you right back here next time on the Outfielder Podcast. Always.